Happy New Year and Happy Holidays to everybody listening to this whenever it first comes out. I have some articles or news pieces from the science world and around the planet to uh, inspire us and provoke thought, inspiration for the new year. So let's begin here. The first thing we have here is the Christmas tree cluster, also known as NGC 2264, in the shape of a cosmic Christmas tree. Green glowing lights make up this Christmas tree, and it has ornaments of different colors. Got green, purple, yellow, white, red. And at the top of the Christmas tree is what looks to me like an inverted Christmas tree where the star would be. So you have a cosmic Christmas tree and then an inverted Christmas tree at the top, which is just very strange that you have that triangle up there. I wonder what would cause that out in space. It's a very particular angle. And this is from Mass University of Massachusetts Image Processing, Caltech, and it's an x-ray and infrared, so it's just a little bit of everybody. NASA, And the stars are young stars with the ages between 1 and 5 million years old in our Milky Way, about 2,500 light years away from Earth. The stars in NGC 2264 are both smaller and larger than the Sun, ranging from with less than one-tenth the mass of the Sun to containing seven solar masses and they have video and other enhancements. This video featuring a cat named Taters was sent back nearly 19 million miles away by a laser communications demonstrations marking a historic milestone. NASA's Deep Space Optical Communications Experiment beamed an ultra-high definition streaming video on December 11th from a record-setting 19 million miles away. 31 million kilometers, about 80 times the Earth-Moon distance. The milestone is part of technology demonstrated aimed at streaming high, very high bandwidth video and other data from deep space, enabling future human missions beyond Earth orbit. So we can already send super high-tech videos across space. Already doing it. Just very very interesting. This accomplishment underscores our commitment to advancing optical communications as a key element to meeting our future data transmission needs, said NASA Deputy Administrator Pam Melroy. Increasing our bandwidth is essential to achieving our future exploration and science goals, and we look forward to continued advancement of this technology and the transformation of how we can communicate during future interplanetary missions. So we have been doing this for a while. The military has done stuff like this, like in 
the Earth. I don't, I'm sure they've done it in space, but it looks like their focus is increasing the bandwidth. So they want to download stuff faster in deep space. The demo transmitted the 15 second test video via a cutting edge instrument called Flight Laser Transceiver. The video signal took 101 seconds to reach Earth. Wow. <laughs> Sent at the system's maximum bit rate of 267 megabit megabits per second. That's like what almost, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's better than what I get most of the time downloading stuff. So they have better download speed in space than we do here on Earth in some places. Capable of sending and receiving near-infrared signals, the instrument beamed an encoded near-infrared laser to the Hale Telescope at Caltex Palomar Observatory in San Diego, California, where it was downloaded. Each frame from the looping video was sent then live to NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in South California where the video was played in real time. So that's an interesting statement in its own, that they're saying that the video was sent to JPL first. Well, first it was sent to Caltech, then it was sent to JPL, and then it was sent to NASA for it to be played in real time. And that is important for different reasons, but that has precedent in other places. The mission was launched on October 13th. Designed to transmit transmit data from deep space at 10 to 100 times greater than the state of art radio frequency systems used by deep space missions today. Psyche travels to the main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. The technology demonstration will send high data signals as far out as the red planets, great distance from the sun. Uh, that's very interesting. And then the it was a tabby cat, orange tabby cat named Taters, and is the pet of a JPL chasing a laser pointer with overlaid graphics. The graphics illustrate several features from the tech demo, such as Psyche's orbital path, Palomar's tel telescope dome and the technical information about the laser and its bit rate. Tater's heart rate, color, and breed are also on the display. Despite transmitting from millions of miles away, it was able to send the video faster than most broadband internet connections. That's what I was just saying. In fact, after receiving the video at Palomar, it was sent to JPL over the internet, and that connection was slower than the signal from space. That is... Very crazy. The latest milestone comes up. Their first light was achieved on November 14th. See, I thought they were doing something around Thanksgiving with this. It's all extremely interesting. Trucking along here, we have a short little one that I'm going to just briefly go over. I thought that this was very lucky. The Coast Guard helicopter rescued a man lost at the eruption site of a volcano in Iceland. 
and a plane was flying over and somebody was putting out an SOS signal near the crater and a helicopter was dispatched to go and get these uh, this guy and the they flew over the first time and they were searching for two people because they saw uh two people they thought and helicopter comes and gets the hikers and turns out there was only one man the helicopter found him and took him back to town came very cold and then left his equipment with a flashlight in another place which is why they thought there was two men so not only is this guy incredibly lucky to be safe that a plane was flying over right whenever he was doing his sos and then a helicopter was in the area to come and pick him up and they were so skilled and brave enough to fly towards a volcano to get this guy but the confusion of having a volcano and random people in the area that really don't have any business being there uh you can see the confusion in the moment of how these things happen that uh, you see a, a light and somebody else and you think that there's two people and there's actually one and it's very confusing for rescue people trying to work on this stuff to make sense of these sorts of things and it's only after the fact that you can make sense of it that somebody had left a, a flashlight somewhere you know that uh, and it says right here people need to stay away from the eruption so but uh, yeah that guy got extremely lucky and the videos are very harrowing of that uh, you can watch the the interview of the pilot that's pretty short uh, and I don't think I can show that so you can find it on your own New clues emerge towards possible life on Enceladus. Saturn's icy moon offers intriguing chemical possibilities. And I'm sure many of you know Saturn has multiple moons. Uh, so does Jupiter and many of the planets in our solar system. But what makes Jupiter and Saturn specifically interesting with their moons is that they have so much gravity that the inside of these moons move around from the gravity of Saturn pulling on them because they're rotating around it constantly so the gravity is constantly changing on them and that keeps stuff moving and a lot of these are water worlds or liquid and whenever you're talking about liquid uh, and movement and gravity you know think of our tides and our moon how just how much a moon can affect liquid because the moon is not very big and it affects our tides so imagine something huge like a, a Jupiter or Saturn but it uh we had f flown a probe near Enceladus here and found that Enceladus has hydrogen cyanide, despite its toxic-sounding name, maybe one of the most important compounds confirmed with near certainty in the dataset. Peter calls it a key building block for synthesizing more complex comp compounds related to the origin of life, and says it could be a precursor to some sort of proteins that compose DNA and RNA. 
but various hydrocarbons are also exciting prospects for life as they are often a substrate or a growth medium for microbial life on Earth, helping nourish really simple organisms. Other potential detections also excite the researchers. First, there's sulfur. The analysis found evidence for the existence of hydrogen sulfide, which you've certainly smelled before. I know I have in Texas, driving through the oil fields. Anybody who's ever smelt the oil fields has smelt hydrogen sulfide. And that hints at geothermal activity. And that geothermal activity is happening because of the gravity, right? Geothermal vents play host to some of the most extreme life forms on Earth that happily thrive among them. So they probably have very similar life to the bottom of our ocean vents that uh, we all have known of, the, the worms at the bottom of the ocean, so to speak. The team also potentially detected phosphorus, adding to the evidence of presence on the moon. Both sulfur and phosphorus are important elements for life on Earth. Phosphorus is what we make a lot of fertilizers from. So that's extremely important. So the chances, basically, what does this all mean? The chances of us finding life on Enceladus is very high. And it's probably going to be similar to, at least some of it will be the similar to what we find at the bottom of the ocean or some ocean life on us. Mainly because uh, it's probably pressurized. I would imagine probably has a lot of pressure. There's probably parts that might not have as much pressure, but it is uh, has so much ice over it. But here we have pictures of ice spraying out the south pole of Enceladus. More than 30 jets captured by Cassini spacecraft, November 21st, 2001. Credit NASA JPL. Caltech. And these are just shooting out liquid water. Well, it's probably ice by here, but it was liquid. It's just shooting out, like imagine Yellowstone geysers, like Old Faithful type of thing, blasting out into space. So that's going to be crazy whenever we finally get to these planets, or moons, excuse me, and are able to uh, find what's there. And it looks like they did that with the ion neutral mass spectrometer. And here we go with the Japanese dragon, terror of the ancient seas, a Mosasar, pretty sure that's how you say that, called the Wakayama blue dragon ruled the prehistoric waters 72 million years ago. And this thing kind of looks like a whale mixed with a, a dolphin. Uh, I mean, it's got bones, it looks like. So, researchers have described the Japanese Mosasaur, the size of a great white shark, Extra long rear flippers might have aided propulsion in concert with its long, thin tail. And unlike other mosasaurs, 
or large extinct marine reptiles, it had a dorsal fin like a shark that would have helped it turn quickly with precision in the water. University of Cincinnati Associate Professor Taka, Taka, Takuya Konishi and his international co-authors described the Mosasaur and placed it in a taxonomic context for the Journal of Systematic Paleontology. The Mosasaur was named for the place where it was found, Wakayama Prefecture, which pretty sure might be where nearby where the earthquake is right now. Terrible event with that. Prayers for Japan regarding the earthquake. Researchers call it the Wakayama, Wakayama Soryu, which means blue dragon. Dragons are creatures of legend in Japanese folklore. And here we have from Earth.com a uh, looks like some art done of it, which looks like they took like a velociraptor and just added a dorsal fin to it, <laughs> and and put some some fins on its front legs. Um. said that the rear flippers are longer than its front ones and these enormous flippers <clears throat> are even longer than its crocodile head which is unique among mosasaurs the researchers have classified the specimen within the subfamily of mosasaurian a i'm not even going to pronounce that species it means large winged aptly reflects the mosasaur's significant flip flipper size Konishi sheds light on the potential locomotive capabilities of Wakayama Soryu. He surmises we lack any modern analog that has this kind of body morphology. From fish to penguin to sea turtle, none has four large flippers they use in conjunction with a tail fin. The unusual physical traits suggest a unique swimming strategy different, differing significantly from other known marine animals. Mosasaurs, including the Wakayama Soryu, Soryu, were apex predators in prehistoric oceans existing from about 100 million to 66 million years ago. They lived alongside dinosaurs, such as the T-Rex, but were wiped out by the same mass extinction event caused by the asteroid impact in the Gulf of Mexico, which now they also think that there was a part of it that hit off the coast of Africa. That was pretty recent, but... Two big ones at the same time, Mexico and Africa, probably the same event. The naming of the Mosasaur blue dragon resonates deeply with Japanese folklore. In China, dragons make thunder and live in the sky. They became aquatic in Japanese mythology. It's very interesting. In China, it's sky. In Japan, it's water. That's take some some processing there it challenges established notions of marine reptile locomotion it opens up a whole can of worms of understanding of how morsasaurs swim and let's just skip down to the habitat and lifestyle because i've already been talking about the anatomy enough 
It says that it was in shallow coastal waters to open oceans. Their fossils have been discovered globally, indicating their widespread presence during the Cretaceous period. As apex predators, mosasaurs fed on diverse diet, including fish, mollusks, birds, and smaller marine reptiles. They were likely ambush predators using their speed and agility to surprise their prey. That makes sense. It would probably hide behind stuff, I would think. Unlike many reptiles of their time, mosasaurs gave birth to live young. This adaption allowed them to avoid vulnerability of laying eggs. And, yeah, we don't know anything about their social behavior. Yeah, of course, it's a fossil. And it says that they might have similar species, uh, or similar behavior to some species like modern-day dolphins or sharks. Which, it does look like a dolphin. That would be what I would describe it more as like from some of the I mean I, I guess I could see the great white shark now comparing it to the great white shark it's like a dolphin shark and here we go with 9 out of 10 world's first mental images extracted from human brain activities using AI that is a mouthful and another thing that takes a lot of processing, unraveling the mysteries of the human mind, Japanese researchers. How much of this has been from Japan? Just the last two? I feel like more of it had to do with that. But Japanese researchers have developed a brain decoding technology leveraging artificial intelligence to translate human brain activity into mental images of objects and landscapes. Oh, I forgot. This is from Interesting Engineering. forgot to mention the citation. Interesting Engineering, led by a team from National Institutes of Quantum Science and Technology and Osaka University, this approach produced vivid depictions such as distinct leopards with discernible features like ears, mouths, spots, and objects like an airplane with red wing lights, replicating mental imagery. Past research has managed to recreate images people have seen by analyzing their brain activity. However, making these mental images visible to others is still difficult. Only a few studies have successfully shown mental images and these images were usually limited to certain categories like human faces, letters, or shapes. Therefore, visually, mentally, mental imagery for arbitrary natural images stands as a significant milestone. The researchers exposed participants to 1,200 studies and meticulously analyzed and quantified the correlation between their brain signals and visual stimuli using functional magnetic reasonable resonance imaging fmri the mapping was then used to train a generative ai to decipher and replicate the mental imagery derived from brain activity the experimental results demonstrated the capabilities of our proposed framework in reconstructing both natural images and artificial shapes that were imagined by human participants the implications of this brain decoding could help in potential application, medicine, welfare, convergence of neuroscience and AI. Now that we have technology to see mental image based on brain activity, it could help 
new communication devices. Additionally, it allows scientists to explore and understand how hallucinations and dreams work in the brain. QST researcher and author of the study, Kai Majima, said that even though we've used tools like microscopes to use tiny things, looking into the depths of the human mind is completely new and unexplored frontier. It's like discovering a whole new world within ourselves. So that is insane and extremely fascinating. Such a multifaceted use of uh, technology that could lead to so many different tools. I have so many thoughts of that. Uh, I mean, if somebody were to, uh, rather than going to a police officer and drawing pictures of what your memory is and trying to describe that to the person and have them create that image in their head and then put that on a paper, uh, you could just remember uh, whatever you needed to remember and the AI would produce the picture of the assailant of whatever you needed to describe. And uh, imagine if we had this technology throughout time, like let's say the JFK assassination, everybody's always talked about that forever of who was there and who did what and if if we could have an AI that could go through people's minds and and tell uh, who actually was telling the truth that day or what they actually saw um, that would be really interesting it, how could you tell what is um, real and what's fake also uh, with talking about memories that would be an interesting discussion to have of because uh, once you remember something you're remembering the memory of your memory <laughs> if that makes any sense you're not remembering the actual thing anymore every time you remember it you're creating the new memories so are you like is it going to create the actual thing or is it going to create uh, what you've remembered I feel like uh, that's hard to describe, but you get my point with that as far as criminology. But uh, even as, as with cryptids or uh, seeing strange stuff in the sky or, or hard f uh, phenomenon that's hard to record in a laboratory, um, these that could be really helpful. Uh, people are not believed... If they see, you know, we, we didn't know ball lightning was real for a long time. So if we had this sort of technology, then we could believe the people that had seen the ball lightning, perhaps. Um, that needs some work and some philosophy behind it. Of it, it still doesn't answer what's real and what's not real. It just pushes back the question. But it does make me think of some Star Trek episodes and... Uh, what could you do with that? And the, the positive, again, could be with somebody that is not able to create art or is, like, paralyzed or something. Um, you know, they would be able to create art and be able to produce stuff again uh, just with their mind and AI. So, and that might be enough to keep people going. 
if they're having a hard time being able to I mean if you lose your body but you can still make art with your mind that's very interesting but <laughs> looking at the picture here it looks like they have a little bit to go but uh, the fact that they even made that is amazing because you have ears you have a mouth you have leaves in the background you've got eyes you've got some form of a neck I mean they were thinking of something and it was starting to put it together and that's all right thanks for everybody that's sticking in here that's finished it out zoom through a spectacular chain of ancient water volcanoes on Antarctic ocean floor uh, ocean research expedition in the South Southern Ocean has mapped a string of seamounts that help to shape the Antarctic circumpolar current, an ocean current that flows clockwise around Antarctica. New high-resolution maps of the seafloor halfway between Tasmania and Antarctica have revealed a chain of underwater volcanoes whose towering peaks may sculpt ocean currents above. The submarine volcanoes of seamounts sit 13,000 feet below the waves, or 4,000 meters, and directly in the path of the strongest ocean current on Earth, the Antarctic Circumpolar Current, which f flows clockwise around Antarctica and acts as a barrier to keep the icy continent frozen. Now scientists have mapped an area where the barrier appears to be leaking, which is enabling swarms of warm water to reach the shores of Antarctica. The leak is not new, though, so don't panic. Don't panic. And it says that it will evolve and change. However, the reason that this is interesting is because they found eight new secret volcanoes, or at least eight, at least eight. The volcanoes formed within the last 20 million years, which likely played a key role in shaping ocean currents around Antarctica. These wiggles form eddies, or circular currents, which pinch off ocean currents. These are like weather systems of the ocean playing a major role in transporting heat and carbon from the upper ocean to deeper layers, a critical buffer against global warming. Knowledge of this depth and shape of the seafloor is crucial to us to quantify the influence of undersea mountains, hills, and valleys. So that's fascinating. The fact that we're just now discovering these massive volcanoes that created the continent and they were secret could call them secret we didn't know about them but the biggest ocean current in the world and these massive mountains underneath the ocean and we're just now finding them and this picture it has a double vent it's incredible all right well i'm gonna wrap up here this is the first one so thanks for bearing with me guys and thank you for everybody that finished it and I look forward to more inspired content and I hope that we got some stuff that made you think and have a great time be safe out there